to Trashlight. I am one of your hosts, Rebecca. And I am your other host, Colleen, and here on Trashlight, we talk about the good, the bad, and the culturally relevant from Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga, chapter by chapter. This week, we are talking about chapter two of Breaking Dawn. Um, I don't actually know what it's called. It's um, called Long Night. Great. Awesome. Thanks. I forgot to write that down. No worries. Um, I got so... you, boo. What happens in this chapter is it starts out pretty hot and heavy. Bella and Edward are getting pretty hot and heavy uh, with their clothes on, most of their clothes, in Bella's bedroom. And they're talking about bachelor parties and those sorts of things. And then Jasper and Emmett come along and they sweep Edward away so he can go to his bachelor party of, you know, eating wild animals. And then we have a sort of flashback thing to... The, we finally get the lore of the vampire child in this flashback. So we get the history of Tanya and her sister's mother and how she had created a vampire child and the Volturi killed her for this child. And then Bella has a prescient dream about small vampire children and then she wakes up. This chapter says so much more about Stephanie Meyer's opinion on children than it does about anything related to Twilight. Yes. Yes. This chapter fully, uh, like, explains Stephanie Meyer's what seems like actual dislike of children coupled with, like, her Mormon sensibilities claiming that she needs to love them and have them. Yes. It's fucking wild. It's, like, a very interesting peek into her psyche. It's not a very interesting chapter of a Twilight book, but it is an interesting peek into Stephanie Meyer's brain. It's a wild chapter because it starts out... Pretty hot and heavy. Um, also, what? Hold on. I have to... And they're, like, making out, and then Bella's like, I had to make sure he was real, so I opened my eyes. His eyes were open, too, and I was like, Why? Ugh. What are you... Do- I'm leaning so far away from the mic. What are you doing? That's God. so awkward. It really How is. are you horny and doing that? Well, yeah, and then... A few, like, pages later, she's like, no, 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 we need to practice with the implications they're practicing for their wedding night. It's like a dress rehearsal. Yes, which implies that they've been practicing for a while, so they've just been, like, dry humping for months. Upsetting. Oh my god. I can't deal with these... Just take your clothes Christians. off and fuck. Just take your clothes off and fuck, please. Do I us truly... all a favor. Do us all a favor. I cannot deal with Christians anymore. I'm done. Oh like, my god. You simply must stop having such weird, like, uh... Oh god. What's the word that I'm looking for? Like... Hang-ups? You no, know, like, like it's an adjective that's like, it's, it's like pointless, but it's, um, like, arbitrary. That's there the word I'm looking for. Okay. You must stop having arbitrary hang-ups about sex. Like, you simply must. Yep. Oh. Oh. Bella does make a very funny joke in this chapter also about how Edward's going to need to find a new hobby when she turns into a vampire because right now his hobby is worrying about her and it's what he does with all of his time. That is very funny. Yes. It is very good. Bella's humor in these first two chapters is, like, really hitting its stride. She's, like, saying some pretty funny shit. She's got some good... This chapter in particular has a partic- has some good one-liners. Um, yeah. We also get the utter comedy of the idea of Emmett, Jasper, and Edward at a bachelor party. Like, picture <laughs> them. Just, like, think about it. The chaos. Picture them at a bar. 
Emmett's the only one who belongs at a bachelor party. Yes, Emmett, A, Emmett is the only one who belongs at a bachelor party. But can you imagine him just, like, picking fights with random assholes? Jasper being the one who makes the asshole angry enough to think that they can fight Emmett. And Edward brooding in a corner. (laughs) Edward is not having fun. I do feel like Jasper... Jasper. Jasper. Jasper and Emmett's relationship is not really explored. I do feel like, and maybe this is just like me projecting, I do feel like they would have a very fun relationship that is a parade that is fully rained on by Edward. Yes. Like absolutely. I, know, I I feel like I feel like Emmett and Jasper probably have a very cute and fun friendship and Edward is just sucks. Yep. They also, there's a line in, in here about their wedding and about, like, Edward having waited for her for hundreds of years and all I could think was, I, I died. died every day. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, this is the movie that it's from. It's from it is. the wedding, right? Yes. Christina Perry wrote that song for this movie. For this movie. Yep. Christina Perry, big Twilight fan, also big fan of Once Upon a Time. Yes. Fun fact. Yep. Um... I'm so sorry for all of the animals making all of the noise. It's fine. There's also, so, on a more serious note in this chapter, like, as we transition away from the horny beginning to the other stuff, Edward brings up this concept of, like, he feels bad that he's taking Bella's opportunity at biological motherhood away from her. Yes. Um, And that's not something that they've really discussed, but it is a real thing that's going away, and Bella's like, I don't, it doesn't really bother me. I, I feel like I'm, I've am i made my peace with this. This is not like... He was like, you know, Esme and Rosalie, you know, like, they really regretted it. And she's like... Yeah. She, Bella even says, and, like, this is something that, like, hasn't been mentioned in so far at, at up to this point in these books. And so I'm very happy that Bella at least mentioned it. She says, like, I am not feeling maternal right now. And if at any point I start feeling that way, I'll do what Esme did and I'll adopt. Like... Yes. There are multiple paths to motherhood. There are so many paths to motherhood. You don't. And that's a great option. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to have a functional uterus to become a mother. That's nope. simply not a requirement. Nope. So I just I appreciated that like that was at least mentioned, even though Edward does push back after Bella says that. I was like, this is, and like the thing is, is that like there, you know, there's weird conservative ideas about, you know, the ability to be a mother, but adoption... Women without uteruses are still women. Are still women. But, uh, maybe I'll link that gender abolition video. It's just so funny. Um, but I, it's, it's not, you know, we, we talk about Edward's, like, Catholic sensibilities all the time. It's not inherently un-Catholic to adopt. Like, the church has historically... Like, before public orphanages were a thing and before, like, the government was like, hey, maybe we should take care of, like, at-risk youth. Like, churches... churches run orphanages for yeah centuries. Churches were the ones, like, yeah, before governments did that, and even now still, like, for better or for worse. Like, I know there are some very terrible orphanages and, like, you know, places out there, but, like, churches of all denominations, like, made the decision, like, hundreds and thousands of years ago, like, we should be taking care of children who don't have anyone to take care of them. Like, that is a very religious and, like, dare I say, Christian notion. Yeah. Historically speaking. So it's, you know, it's wild to me that Edward pushed back on that when it's like, actually, Catholics are, like, pretty into taking care of lost youth. Like... Yes. 
that's like kind of a big thing for them. Yeah. 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 To the point to to sometimes a troubling point. It, uh, but, yes. But uh, you know, but they haven't say, always done it well. I would say like seventy percent of the time the intention is like a hundred percent good. percent <laughs> just like for the best wishes of the, the best wishes of the child. You yeah. know? Yeah. So that was interesting to me too, that that was like a, a kind of like a, a a break in his like you know, a lot of his conservative grossness yeah. has kind of been justified in this like old fashioned Catholic mantle, but like this doesn't really fit there. Yeah. Yep. I do think it's also unfortunate that in this very same conversation, Edward or maybe Bella, I think, makes a joke about how she's going to be 18 forever and how that is, quote-unquote, every woman's dream come true. Yeah, she does, and that's... Because that's deeply upsetting. Um, it is not my dream to be 18 forever. Yes, and you can see that played out really insidiously in the age difference in Hollywood between oh, yeah. um, the, I guess, men and women co-stars of movies and romantic interests in movies and how the men are usually in their late 30s, 50s. early 40s, yeah, at the youngest. And the women are usually, like, 20. I think the the best way to drive this point home that I know is to say the phrase, Scarlett Johansson is a millennial. Yeah. Because she she's an actress, whether you like her or not, Obviously, she's a woman with problems. She feels like she's been around for a really long time, right? Yeah. Like, she's had a very illustrious career up until this point. I think Scarlett Johansson is less than 10 years older than me and Rebecca. I do believe so, yeah. It's And that, like, thinking about all of her male co-stars and what age they are, like, it, it's a thing that people don't realize because, like, we want women to be so ageless so they get all this work done so that they look ageless. And it's like, she's... So, you know, like, someone like Sandra Bullock looks, you know, who I think is in her 40s, looks amazing because she's had all this work done because she has to, to, like, stay relevant. She actually might be 50 at this point. She's, Sandra Bullock is older, I do believe. Um, like, I think Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock are both, like, close to 50, but, you know, they've had all Sandra, this work done. damn. Sandra Bullock's 56. Damn, girl! Um, but, like, they've had all this work done to, like, preserve their youth, and so, like, you don't necessarily think about it, but, like, someone like Scarlett Johansson is, like, pretty young. She's 35, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's this idea, like, it pervades. I, I had a student, and, like, obviously kids say dumb things, but, like, if a five-year-old is, like, you're 18 or you're 40 or you're 70 and there are no ages yeah. in between, you're like, okay, you're five, that's fine. I heard a 14-year-old girl today say anyone, anything after 30 is old, and it wasn't really a joke, and I, like, I shut it down in a funny way. I was like, that's not old. And she was like, my parents are almost 40 and they're old. I was like, yeah, I call my parents old too, but my parents are at... Love you, Mom and Dad. I was like, my parents are actually old. They're, like, 60, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get to call. And, like, you know, I you know, I made it more into a joke. And I think that she was joking a little, but also, like, this idea of, like, you're wasted after 30. Like, you only have until 30 to be, like, young and fun. And then you're, like, old. And I feel like very much more so for women than for men. It's, like. Particularly for women. It's the idea of, like, the old maid. That how yeah. if you don't find like, high society. I've been watching a lot of Jane Austen movies recently. If you don't find a husband by a certain age, like, you're a burden on your family, you're a burden on society, etc. Taken to its extreme back in Aust Austonian times. Yeah, and just the idea that, like, 
women have an expiration date because their physical appearance is what's important. And as a society, we value a youthful physical appearance. Not every society in the world has valued youthful physical appearances, to yeah. be clear. Yes. To be very clear. But our current, like, United states society. The Western society, ideal, yeah. The Western ideal is, like, a youthful beauty. White. What, yeah, a white beauty. And it's for women. And yeah. it's this, you know, this idea that, like, First of all, that women are only worth their physical appearance. And second of all, that the physical appearance standard that our culture has decided upon is youth. Yeah. So but that's like two things that are bad. Because even if like the standard of beauty was like a little more wrinkled and a little older, to value women based on that standard alone is still fucked. Yeah, absolutely. So there's just two levels of fucked because men are not valued on their appearance alone. Men, like, and I don't mean to say that, like, attractive men don't get farther, like, uh, uh, to the Western standard. Yes. Like, men who fit the Western standard of male attractiveness don't get farther easier than men who don't, because they absolutely do. But men get valued for more than just their appearance, whereas women typically, that it stops with their physical beauty. Yes, and that's not to say judgment. that men don't have um, negative beauty standards associated oh, as well. Oh, yeah, but they like, absolutely do. You are 100% correct. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you, you, all you have to do is look in Hollywood at the kinds of movies that Jonah Hill makes and the kinds of movies that Hugh Jackman makes, right? Yeah, yep. Like... I mean, what was... Was it Longshot with... Um, no, that's... It's not Jonah Hill, but um, the one with Charlize Theron and... Some other... Oh, Seth Rogen. Yes. Seth Rogen. Yes. I get Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill confused too. <laughs> okay, great. I'm so glad it's not just me. But That's, again, like, I, I get Charlie's Theron is a pinnacle of beauty. And Seth God, Rogen, she's so what? hot. What? There's, I just, yeah. The premise of that movie is that Charlie's Theron is out of Seth Rogen's league. Like, that's why it's called Longshot. Yes. It's, and actually, that movie was not as gross. I, I went to see that oh, movie. Oh, I, I, that I movie. also, I was interested in seeing the movie. It also looked kind of funny. But that's, it's a good exemplar was, of that point. It is. It was absolutely not as gross as the premise made it sound. Yes. It was, like, actually interesting. Ultimately, still a little weird. But. I mean, yeah. Also, um, how she was his fun. babysitter when he was a kid. Questionable. Yeah. I mean, that gets into a whole thing of, like, how we... A, sexualize young women, and B, how we don't trust men when they are, like, how we don't value, well, we don't value anyone's sexual assault, but, like, how we don't, like, you know, whenever, if you ever hear a story about, like, a female teacher assaulting yes. a male student, yep. Yep. the comments are always, like, good for you, man, and it's like, no, this is No, that's crimes. still assault. This is still crimes. That's why I can't watch Riverdale. Like, I know a bunch of people who think Riverdale as a show is fascinating. I say fascinating and not good. Um, Fair. But one of the big plot points in the first two episodes is literally statutory rape. And I yeah. can't get over that. I mean, there are, I didn't know that. There were many other reasons why I've never watched Riverdale. <laughs> well, I it was recommended as like a bingeable TV show to watch while I was studying, so I didn't have to focus on things. But I got an episode and a half into it. And everyone was glorifying this guy for getting this teacher, this 15-year-old, for sleeping with his teacher. The narrative was, and it's, that is, it's statutory rape. That's yes. what that is. 
That was, like, also the one part of Booksmart that was bad. Although, like, in Booksmart, they, like, went out of their way to, like, set up the student that wound up, like, getting with the teacher as someone who was, like, already 19 years old. Like, they were like, look, it's not illegal, but, like, it was still gross, you know? But it's and it was, still, yeah, there's still it, a power imbalance there. Yeah, it just, like, it was, I really liked the movie Booksmart, and that was the one, like, su- like that one little subplot was, like, the one part for me that, like, really didn't land... Because Booksmart is a movie made for, like, my specific demographic. Like, I went to see it with an old roommate who also went to, like, not the same high school that Rebecca and I went to, but also went to a magnet high school and, like, also, like, you know, went to William Mary, like, nerdy kid. Like, this Booksmart was a movie that was made for girls like me and my old roommate and Rebecca. Like, it is absolutely tailored to us. And it hit all of its marks except for that one weird subplot where I was like, oh, why? Like, what are we doing? Yep. We've gotten very off topic, but this chapter's not that long. So. We have. And, well, and it's so all over the place. Like, we have this lead up with the bachelor party and them dry humping in her bed. Ugh. Yeah. And then she thinks back on the lore of the vampire child, which is a poor way to introduce this. Um, yeah. But we finally have the lore, which is good. So we have the introduction to our plot. Or to the foreshadowing of our plot. Yeah. It's a little heavy-handed for foreshadowing, I will say. Well, and it's... It, it, it's, it comes, like, very much out of nowhere if you don't know where Breaking Dawn is going as a book. Yes. Like, since Rebecca and I know where Breaking Dawn is going, it's like, okay, we had to do this. But if you don't know where Breaking Dawn is going, it's kind of like, we're supposed to be focused on your marriage. Like, what the fuck are we doing Talking about, like, you know, we have the little sexist comment of, like, Bella's upset that Tanya's going to be there because Tanya used to have a crush on Edward, and, like, Tanya's going to be beautiful, and that's going to make Bella insecure. And it's like, okay, this is dumb, but if this was what this whole next couple pages was about, that would at least make sense with where the plot is headed right now, which is towards the wedding. Yeah. But then it, like, cuts to, like, this... And for those of you who, like, either don't remember or have never read it, like, the quick lore on the immortal immortal children is that, like, Following to the logical conclusion, the idea of, like, when you are bitten by a vampire, you stop aging, and that vampires have this, like, incredible, insanely high charisma that helps them get their prey. When you turn a baby or a very small child into a vampire, their, like, natural baby cuteness combines with the vampire charisma, and they are off the charts good at being a vampire, but they're... As, as Rebecca has talked about with Edward's brain chemistry, like, their brain chemistry doesn't mature past wherever they were, so when they have tantrums, they can level towns, you know? And, like, they can't mature out of those decisions because they're stuck in infancy or in toddlerhood, and it got to the point where the Volturi kind of had to make... And I say had to because the Volturi are painted as bad guys in this story, and, like, yes, murdering children feels bad, but based on... What's been said, I feel like Bella just hates the Volturi and paints them in a little bit of a worse light than they need to be painted. I mean, if you're weighing body count. Yeah, it sounds like the Volturi just kind of made the decision of like, we're just going to go ahead and say no one create these anymore. This Mm -hmm. is a bad idea. And we're just going to get rid of the few that are still around because this is insane. And like that seemed like a logical decision. That seems like a logical decision to me. And the, the issue with Tanya's family is that Tanya's mother without Tanya or her sisters knowing, created one of these children, and the Volturi found out, and they killed Tanya's mother and the child, and Arrow, but because Arrow 
can, you know, read minds, go through all your thoughts. He touched, not in like a gross way, but like touched the three sisters and realized that, you know, could tell that they were telling the truth, that they truly had no idea about this. And that Caius was apparently all for just like killing them anyway to send a message. And Arrow kind of put his foot down and was like, we don't need to do that. They like really did not know. Yeah. Like this is truly shocking and devastating news to them. Yes. Um, they have received the message. Loud right. And clear. Yeah. Like they got it. And I, it, it, there's also, it's also said that like Arrow was really interested in these children on like a kind of a scientific level. Um, yeah. But ultimately. Which is a little messed up. Yeah. But ultimately also came to the conclusion that like, they were simply too dangerous because they couldn't mature neurologically. Yeah, you can't you can't use them. Yeah. So that's like, you know, in broad strokes the lore that we receive. And that basically, you know, that like Tanya and her so so there's five vampires in Denali. There's Tanya, two sisters, Irina and a, someone else with like a Kate? That, Katie? Yeah. And then there's a couple that kind of like joined up in the way that like and the way it's described here is, like, the way that Alice and Jasper kind of joined the Cullens. Like, yeah, yeah, weren't, yeah. T- weren't turned by the mother, but are, like, part of the family. Yeah. Um, but the three sisters, like, will not mention the mother by name. Like, will not talk about her. Like, this is still very, a very upsetting thing for them. Yeah. Um, yep. So. Which, I mean, the idea of a vampire child is fascinating. I still think, I stand by what I said near the end of Eclipse, that the best time to introduce it would have been with Brie. That you should have just made Brie younger and had her be, like, ten years old. Because ten-year-olds still have tantrums. Um, Yup! And had the cutoff, like, make some sort of cutoff for the Volturi. Be like, no, she's, she's below the cutoff. Like, she is a vampire child. Victoria, who created her... Or whoever created her. They're already dead, so I can't punish them. But, like, she can't live. She has to go. She has to go. It's interesting, too, because Jane is, like, 12. And she's not considered a vampire child. Yeah, which is kind of wild. Because 12-year-olds also have tantrums. Yeah. It's... So, I I wonder what their cutoff is. But I agree that, like, it would have been much better to be, like, to have someone like... Well, I guess maybe Jane has been around longer than Dimitri, but, like... You know, to have them there and have, like, Jane Seabree or Dimitri Seabree and be like, oh my god, it's a vampire child. Like, and have Carlisle be like, we can bring her into our family and instead of them just being dicks, have them be like, no, this is a vampire child. Like, Carlisle, you know that we cannot allow her to live. Yeah. Like, you understand that. And have Carlisle have, like, a very emotionally conflicted moment before being like, okay, and then after they leave, have Bella be like, excuse me, what the fuck was that about? And having, you know, and then getting exactly. the explanation then. And then we have the seeds for that planted beforehand. Yes. I still think that's the best way to have handled. Or, like, in New Moon, when we introduce the Volturi, just talk about all their rules then. But, whatever, right. whatever, whatever. I know, I, I 100% books. agree. No. Thank God. Yeah, and then Bella has that weird dream where, like, a child that she adores and is obsessed with killed everyone she loves. Which again is like, I wanna, I'm gonna go on another little culture. Last last week I talked about marriage. This week I'm gonna talk about having children. Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to Pop Culture Rants with Colleen. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Um, like, I, I, I've never had children. So, so let's start there. And I absolutely don't want to 
underestimate or devalue the amount of time, energy, and effort a child requires from his or her, their caregivers, yeah. right? Having a child is a gigantic commitment and one that should not be taken lightly. However, there is this cultural idea that once you have children, you have to, like, give up your entire life for your child. And that for the next, like, 18 years, you're a shell of a person who just drives your kid to soccer practice. And you don't get to be a human being for those 18 years. And that once they're an adult and they're off, you finally get to, like, be your, have your personality again. Yeah. And I, that's insane to me. It's also kind that's, of damaging to that poor child. Yes, and it's a damaging, like, this idea, like, I see these kind of, like, coffee pasta shares on Facebook all the time that's like, I would do anything, like, my children are my life and I would do anything for them. And it's like, that's fine, but, like, you also deserve, like, you, it's, it's like on an airplane, you have to put on your air mask before you put on the air mask of the child next to you. Like, yeah. You have to secure your safety mask before you secure the safety mask of the person next to you that needs help, even if that person is your own child. And they say that on the airline, on the airplane, all the time. They we do. might have forgotten since it's been so long since we've all been on an airplane. <laughs> I hope. Yes. If you've been if you've been on an airplane in the past like six months, you better have had a damn good reason. <laughs> um, but you know, so I think that like, and again, like. As a society, we like again like sitcommy pop culturey pop culturally like nuclear family ideals has this idea that like parents don't get to have personalities and lives that like their focus has to be on their children and a lot of that is because we expect so much more of our children now than we used to yeah. you know like the amount of stuff that they have to do to even just get into college and do all of this and do all of that like the expectations on children are just far more strenuous than they ever were. And so, like, the expectations on parents to, like, have their kids live up to this unattainable standard is much higher, and that requires much more time and effort and money and resources that not everyone has, and, like, we could get into that. But ultimately, my point within all of these other, like, fucked up factors is that, like, if you want to have a child, that is a discussion that you should have with whoever you are going to raise this child with very seriously and a commitment that that's not just for 18 years, that's for the rest of your life, that, like, a commitment that you need to be not just willing, but excited about making. Enthusiastic about, yes. Yes. And I am not trying to diminish that at all. I also don't think that making that commitment is a death sentence to your personality and your personal life. You can still have friends. You can still do things that interest you that aren't directly related to the interests of your child. And you can still be a person with kids yeah and I think that like and I think that there is a, a level of guilt that people feel also of like oh am I not parenting good enough am I not giving up enough for my kids so that my kids can have best like you know if Johnny at soccer practices parents do this and this and that like shouldn't I and again you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you put on the oxygen mask of the kid next to you like you and so I think that like these ideas and this dream is all wrapped up in this idea of like Bella sees all of her friends and everyone she knows dead, but it doesn't matter because she would protect this child with her life. And it's like, th that's, that encapsulates this pop culture idea of like, you know, if Bella were to have a child, she would like, these people would metaphorically die. Like she would lose them. And that's insane. Yeah. Like that shouldn't be yeah. how having kids is. This, and like. Also bold of you to assume that Bella cared about half the people that she named. Oh, no, she didn't. She named, like, Jessica and people, like, And, like, Jesus. Angela? And yeah, Ben? And Ben? And, like, yeah, no. Um, Hard sell. 
Well, and, like, the other thing is, is that, like, if we're gonna get really, like, culturally, like, brained about it and, like, step back from Twilight even more, the, uh, like, I will, I will admit, I, I personally believe that if you do not have time, any time in your day to hang out with a child, you shouldn't have a child. Or any desire. But, like, you know, if yeah. you fully never want to interact with a child, you shouldn't have one. You shouldn't have kids. If but you don't like kids, you shouldn't don't have, have kids. kids. Yeah. But it's also, I think, a very Western and modern idea to think that, like, only parents should be raising children. Like, yes, nannies exist and are, like, culturally acceptable, but, like, there are many other cultures and, like, even in the past in Western society where, like, it, like the phrase, it takes a village, like, comes from a thing like comes from shit that happened right like yeah raising a kid used to and can be a more collective effort than i think people see it as they're like oh no if i have a kid i have to be like 100 percent responsible for it 100 percent of the time then well, i shouldn't be calling babies it's um, single family housing in terms of like a nuclear family is very, very new. new it used to be intergenerational that has been the mode of family living for considerably longer yeah and just like Again, the idea of, like, even not necessarily your family, but, like, your, like, you should have help raising a child. Like, you, yeah. no one person should be 100% responsible for a child 100% of the time. Like, even if you are only raising a child, like, either by yourself or with a partner, like, you're not responsible for your child 100% of the time because you send them to school and their teachers are responsible for them there. I'm responsible yeah. for, I'm responsible for people's kids sometimes and they're not responsible for them there, right? Like, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like big decisions go to the parents and not to me, right? But, like, but there's times in the day where people's children are my responsibility. Um, yes. The, um, actually, you can see this biologically with a the grandmother effect. So people who, women who have their parents nearby are more likely to be evolutionarily successful because they have help raising children. Yeah. Like, that is scientifically proven. Yeah. Which is wild. That's fucking nuts. It's insane. That's insane. Yeah. And it's, you know, there it, it gets into a, a broader cultural conversation of, like, the, like, Hunter and I just watched the movie The Farewell, which wrestles a lot with this, like, the Western notion of individuality oh, gee, yeah. versus, like, the more Eastern notion of, like, family before individuality. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, I, I certainly think there's, as someone who lives a thousand miles away from my own parents... think there are pros and cons to both yeah. um but love you mom and dad <laughs> but it, it's it's an interest it's interesting to think about because like within the western idea of individuality right we get this like okay if i am gonna be an individual and do exactly what's right for me when it comes time when you come when it comes time where you need a we as within the case of raising a child yeah and like it doesn't have to be your blood family. Like, you can have family that's not related to you that helps you. Like, they're still family, and they can help you raise a child, and that's all good and fine, and I, I'm 100% supportive of that. Yeah. You know? But, like, it's this... There's just, like, such this, you know, 1950s American idea of, like, women be staying at home raising children 100% by themselves. Yeah. And that's... 
shouldn't ever be how it is. You and know? that's not historically how it has been. Yeah. It's also just, like, kids are fucking exhausting. Like, you need yes. to be able to tap out. <laughs> yes. For your sake and for the kids' sake. Yeah, they're sick of you, too. Look, as someone with a lot of experience being responsible for children, you gotta tap out sometimes. <laughs> it's good for everyone to be able to tap out. Um, we've, like, fully gone off the rails on this, but... We have. My final thoughts on the vampire child is that babies are super cute and all, but I don't know why you would want a perma two-year-old. God. No, thank you, ma'am. They can't yeah. poop without your assistance. No. You, although do, va I guess, vampire poops. I guess that's a whole different thing. If they're not, like, eating solids, are they pooping? I, yeah, it would just be liquid. Ooh. You still have to do. Oh, so you just have to deal with diarrhea all the time. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't. No one wants that. Disgusting. No, because unless they evolved like birds in order to like more solidify their waste. <sighs> but we have no evidence of that textually. We write a letter well, to Stephanie Meyer. What do you think about vampire poops and bird poops? Yikes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's crystals. They have uric acid crystals. They don't really urinate water because they don't hold onto it as well. They need their water so much more because they metabolize so much quicker. Sorry, I had to, like, really think back. No worries. I think that's it for this chapter. Yep. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. It's like a wild ride of a chapter to go on. It doesn't quite follow logically. This book so far, and we've only read two chapters, has been so unlinear, it's been kind yes. of exhausting. Yes. Which is kind of wild. And it's going to get worse when we switch perspectives. Ugh, God, I'm not looking forward to it. Me neither. Yes. All right. Yep, so well, if you would like to tell us about your feelings about us talking about Breaking Dawn or anything that we have chatted about in all of this... Uh, you can shoot us an email that is trashlight at gmail.com. We have a website that is trashlight.simplecast.fm. We are on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is at trashlight. We have a Tumblr now that is trashlight-podcast.tumblr.com. It's been a while since anybody rated us or reviewed us on iTunes. And I know I said that while I was drunk and I sounded kind of pathetic when I said it while I was drunk, but I meant it. Um, so we would love it if you would give us a rating or a review on iTunes, yeah. um, provided it's five stars, <laughs> JK. <laughs> um, but yeah, on that note, bye. Bye.